2: Hello there ladies and gentlemen and welcome to another episode of This Week in History with me your host Dan the Viking. Now this week is an episode I've been looking forward to doing for a long time and it's one that uh, I think a lot of you will enjoy if I'm honest. I think it's something a little bit different, something a little bit out there. um, Something that you may learn something today, let's put it that way. And uh, the reason for this episode is... I was asked a few weeks ago about a certain phrase that I used by one of my children. Um, and this was a baker's dozen. Uh, many of you probably know a baker's dozen is 13. Uh, it's not 12. And my daughter asked me, she said, well, Dad, why, why do you say a baker's dozen for 13? Why not just say 13? And And why is a baker's dozen 13? Are bakers just stupid? Because they may, you know, their their dozen is different to ours, and I said, well, it actually comes from an old English uh, style of, um, I think it's medieval. It may even be slightly later than medieval. Um, I said, old English bakers were severely punished for baking bread that was underweight. So what they used to do was they used to bake an extra loaf or an extra batch with an extra one in and this batch would be the 13th one and this would be to compensate for any bread that was underweight and uh, she was like oh right okay she didn't seem overly interested in that but i got me thinking and i thought it's a little bit different isn't it you know that's the reason behind it you know it's uh, you add an extra one into your to your batch or into your loaves and That was the reason for a baker's dozen, and now people do say, you know, baker's dozen, it's 13, and it sort of got me thinking, well, maybe I could do an episode on some of these old-fashioned sayings and what they actually meant at the time compared to, to what they mean now. So I've done a bit of research and had a look at some of the ones that we use in this country. Some of these may be used internationally, they may be used across across the globe. Um, I'm not sure if they are, so if they are used in other countries, let me know. If they're ones you've never heard before, then obviously let me know again, because I think it's pretty cool. Uh, one we use very regularly in this country is called Beat About the Bush or Beat Around the Bush. And we say, don't beat about the bush, get straight to the point um and this was you know when someone's trying to have a conversation with you and they're sort of skirting around the issue rather than getting straight to the point don't beat about the bush get straight to the point and this comes from when hunting um when hunting birds mainly some people would beat the bush to drive them out into the open um other people would then catch them um and they'd say I won't beat about the bush Uh, came to mean i will go straight to the point and without delay and another one i I believe this one is used in america which is the word beeline we're going to make a beeline for uh, that pub or that that tavern or whatever um, which basically means we're going to go in a straight line straight there that's where we go in and this again this comes back from ancient england where people believed that bees flew in a Direct straight line to their hive, so a bee line would be a, a a straight line for the bee to drive into his into his hive. Biting the bullet is another one, very common common phrase. Just bite the bullet. You know uh, this was something. I would say this has been changed now to rip off the plaster, or Americans say rip off the band aid. Um, But bite the bullet is the old British saying, um, which essentially means, you know, just get on with it. Just go and do it, you know, to stop worrying about it, just go for it. Um, This actually comes from an old Navy tradition. And again, this was used, I believe this was used in the Army as well, but it was mainly in the Navy, which was before doctors could administer anaesthetic for whatever reason, they would give the sailor a bullet to bite on to alleviate some of the pain um, you know whether they were cutting the leg off or, or whatever it was but the severe um, surgery that they were about to have the bullet was supposed to be um, be the one that that stopped the, the pain I can't imagine that actually working but I suppose it was something to distract them but it's a, a little bit different to, to what it actually means today. Blue blood. Now, blue blooded is something that comes today, meaning essentially upper class. Or the you know the Queen, the royal family are considered blue bloods, aristocrats, for example. Um, this comes from uh, an old European tradition Now for centuries the Arabs actually occupied Spain. Okay, well, many of you probably do know that, um, but for centuries Spain was actually as an Islamic country. they were gradually forced out during the middle ages and the upper class in spain had paler skin than most of the population uh, because their ancestors had actually not married with the arabs so the 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 aristocracy in spain stayed with their own people and the rest of spain tended to interbreed with with the arabs Um, and because they had paler skin, they were classed as blue blood was running through their veins. Because the veins on, obviously on, on white people, is a lot more prevalent. You can see the blue coming through the, the veins compared to, to obviously darker skin. Now obviously blood is red, um it does sometimes look blue um i'm sure many of you now are probably doing what i just did and that is look at my wrists to see the blue uh the the with the blue veins coming through uh one for me dad uh, and that is bobby's or peelers was another word um this comes from the basically the the man who founded the metropolitan police the original policeman sir robert peel one of the oldest Policeman ever to grace the world. He was, he's very, very famous. In fact, the Hendon Training Centre in London for the Metropolitan Police is called the Robert Peel Building um, or the Robert Peel something or tower, I think it might be. But it, it is named after Sir Robert Peel. Now, for many of you, you probably realize Peelers comes from the word Peel and Bobby's comes from Robert. Ah uh, the Metropolitan Police was founded in 1829 so that goes back quite a long time that one and the 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 word peelers is is probably not used very much today it's not something i hear on a normal well in a normal conversation but Bobby's is definitely still well used born with a silver spoon in your mouth this is a common saying in this country which means somebody who is born into a life of luxury someone who has a bit of money behind them someone who you know we would see as in the past potentially upper class royals um, or lords or things like that now it can mean anybody who has a little bit of money Um you know i would assume someone like bill gates's children would be classed as born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Someone who never has to fight for a meal. But it once uh, meant that a child, when it was christened, it was traditional for the godparents to give a silver spoon, if they could afford it, as a gift. Uh, however, a child in a rich family did not have to wait until the christening. They would be born with the silver spoon. So the silver spoon would be given as a gift during the christening, but it was for poorer people. Essentially, would would have the gift at a later date. Um, so, obviously, for many of you, probably are aware, a christening doesn't happen on the day they're bur- uh, born. Sorry, it is uh, something that happens a few months later. Essentially, giving the godparents just a little bit of time to uh, to save up for that. Now, chocker block this is probably means nothing to many americans chocker block this is a british saying um, it gets shortened a lot now to chocker um, so for example if i use it in a sentence for you um, the m25 is the busiest one of the busiest motorways in england and i'll get a phone call where are you i'm sat on the m25 it's chocker it's chocker block there's cars wall to wall you can't move traffic um, it's busy, essentially, is what it meant. It's just busy, uh, overcrowded. Uh, what it actually means is when pulleys or blocks on a sailing ship were pulled so tightly together that they could not be moved any closer, they were said to be chock-a-block. And essentially, kind of means the same thing, I would say. I'd say that's pretty similar. Um, yeah, it's just obviously been slightly modernised. A cock-and-ball story. It'll probably... Uh, You'll probably know as bullshit, um, but now it means, a, or it used to be a cock and bull story. Now, this phrase was first recorded in the 17th century, and it probably comes from an actual story about a cock and a bull that is now lost. So it's not really something that has much history to it. There's not a huge amount that we know, but a cock and bull story now, it means it's rubbish. It, it That never happened. It is lost through time crocodile tears we've all heard this there's songs about crocodile tears believe it or not this was believed so we we know oh sorry i'll I'll give the reason first we know crocodile tears is someone who doesn't care you're crying but we know they're fake we know you don't care it actually comes from apparently old english on It says Old English, but I find this very strange to be Old English when we don't have crocodiles in England, but I will go with my facts. Old English, they used to believe that when a crocodile killed a man and ate him, that the crocodile would cry because they're taking a life. And that would be the crocodile tears. Essentially, why would the crocodile cry? Because it's it's the one doing the act. Why would you cry about something when you're the one doing it? Essentially, you know, it your, your tears mean nothing, and that is where the the term "crocodile tears" comes from. What the Dickens? This is a, a, a less common saying, but I have heard it before. Um, essentially, means what the f yeah it's a polite way of saying it um but yeah what the dickens it's probably a bit a bit older probably around sort of the victorian era this was used and a lot of people do believe this is linked to charles dickens the famous british writer who was born in 1812 died in 1870 if you're that interested but it's not actually from that. It's even older than Charles Dickens himself. This predates him. It actually comes from around the 16th century. So this isn't Victorian like most people think. The Dickens was actually another name for the devil. So what the Dickens mean meant, what the devil. It sounds really strange to say. Essentially that's why they changed it to Dickens. But that is that's where it came that's where it come from, don't look a gift horse in the mouth, very, very strange saying, essentially now it means don't question something that you're being given, you know, if someone gives you a hundred pounds or, you know, a, a new playstation or whatever, don't question it, just be grateful that you've got it, don't, don't ruin it, Basically, um, and this, and uh, uh, this is an old saying that means don't examine your gifts too closely. Um, you can tell a horse's age by looking at its mouth. Um, so a lot of a lot of people in the in history used to sell horses. Obviously, horses were a main stable of transport, and selling a horse would be very very easy to do, much like selling cars, and if you were given a horse what they're saying is if you're given one just be grateful that you've been given one don't don't look at it and check the age cuz that's how you tell a horse's age is through its mouth um you know just just be grateful so that's where that that storage uh, storage where that story comes from um dutch courage is uh, a very common thing for alcohol uh, people used to say um I'll just have one for Dutch courage. You know, I'll, I'll just have one just to calm my nerves, you know. It's, it's normally centered around alcohol. You know, Dutch courage is is centered around just having one little drink to calm your nerves, that sort of thing. In the 17th century England, England and Holland or the Dutch um were rivals, and they fought in many wars. They fought between 1652 and 1654. 1665 and 1667, and 1672 and 1674. Uh, It said that the the Dutch had to drink alcohol to build up their courage to fight the English. Um, Other insulting phrases are Dutch trep meant, or Dutch sort of phrases were sort of like double Dutch. We say you're talking double Dutch, you're talking gibberish, or you're talking rubbish. Um, So it was used as an insult, you know. If you had to have Dutch courage, it used to mean that it was because you, you know, you were you were scared, you were frightened. Um, it doesn't have the same connotation now um, as it used to. Obviously, it's not as uh, not as not as bad. Um, it, you know, it hasn't got that stigma to it that it used to. If you were, if you had to have Dutch courage. Uh, in the 1600s, then you were a weak person, essentially. That's how the British saw the Dutch. You know, and we wonder why the rest of the world doesn't really like us. A flash in the pan. This is something I'm sure many of you have heard. A flash in the pan just happened so quickly. It was just a flash in the pan. Um, you would think it's not a, you know, you you would think something like this. Doesn't really have much history to it, but you would be completely wrong. This saying actually comes back for back to the day when muskets were used. So this was, you know, this this potentially can be anything around the 16th century onwards. But muskets had a priming pan, which was filled with gunpowder. When the flint hit the steel, it ignited the power, and in the pan, uh, which in turn ignited the main charge of gunpowder and fired the musket ball. However. Sometimes the powder in the pan failed to light, and in this case you would have a flash in your pan and that's all it meant. It wasn't necessarily meant as a you know it was just a, a saying it didn't really mean anything as oh that you've had a flash in your pan it was stating a fact now it's got a completely different meaning flying your colors or showing your colors um or. You could say showing your true colors. This is a n- uh, naval saying. You know, he's just shown his true colors. People use this all the time. Oh, he's he's just shown his true colors. He's he's actually a bit of an idiot. You know, he seemed really nice. Now he's starting fights. He's shown his true colors. He's angry. Do you know? We all know that the saying "Flying your colors" or "Showing your colors," showing your true colors. They, these all have very similar meanings but these actually date way back to the navy like when the navies in the world used flags to distinguish who they were now a lot of people uh, sorry a lot of ships would fly false colors so again there's another saying of flying false colors or showing false colors this would go back to showing the wrong thing this would be as you were approaching a ship many pirate ships did this this was a main thing for the pirates in around the 1700s was flying the wrong colors when they approached a ship a navy ship they were flying the same colors that the navy did but the rules of maritime law say that you cannot fire a shot without showing your true colors essentially they would get within range of the ship Hoist the flag down, put up the Jolly Roger, and they were then flying their true colours, or showing their true colours, and that is where that comes from. Again, a very strange one, but that's where it comes from. You know, it's it's a military, a naval history um, saying that's been around for thou oh thousands, saying thousands now, hundreds of years. Get the sack. This is something that. You would consider now, if you've got the sack, you've been fired. that's it. you've got no job anymore get you've you've been given the sack, you're out of a job. Uh, I'm not sure if it means the same in America. I know I don't know if they use the word you've got the sack, but someone let me know. but get the sack. It actually comes from a day when workmen carried their tools in sacks, and if your employer gave you the sack. It was time for you to collect your tools and go home. That's it. It didn't mean you're fired. It just meant it's the end of your shift off you go go home so a very strange way how that's changed you know this was something that just meant your working day is finished um now means see you later. We don't want you to work here anymore. This one's probably quite well used quite common and it's a uh, gone to pot or go to pot um. Something that we use now for basically a bad day, you know, it's uh this was the plan, but it's all gone to pot. It's all gone wrong. Uh, it actually comes from old farm animals, where the animal had outlived its usefulness and uh, it would literally go to the pot. You would kill it and eat it. So that's where that one comes from. I'm going to hit you with a, a very British one now, which is golly gosh. There's a very, very quintessentially British saying. Um, Essentially, both words mean God. So you would say, instead of saying, oh God, you would say, oh golly, or oh gosh, or if you're really posh, oh golly gosh. It basically just meant, oh my God. Humble pie. Most of us have heard of this. Most of us have heard the saying, you have to eat humble pie. You have to admit you were wrong you know, just apologize, swallow your humble pie, eat your humble pie. Um,
3: Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs. So your plan works for you.
2: the expression is actually very different it comes from a thing called humble pie which just sounds like a cockney saying humble pie Uh, it's humble pie mate but humble pie was basically the shit parts of the animal so if you were in a, a rich household and a deer was killed for dinner the venison would be put in the pie for the lords and ladies and the servants were given the innards, the crap from the animal that nobody wanted to eat. And this was called the umble. And essentially, you had to eat your umble pie, which meant that you were not in the same league as everybody else. You were to eat umble pie was quite demeaning because everybody at the table could see who was. Worthy of the the proper meat, and who had to eat the humble pie. Um, kick the bucket. This is a uh, you know a sort of expression for someone who's died. They've just kicked a bucket. Um, when you slaughter a pig, you used to tie the back legs to a wooden beam. Um, and in French, a wooden beam is called a bouquet, or a, a, I'm not good at French, a bouquet. <laughs> And as the animal died, the animal kicked their back legs, and they kicked the buquette or the bouquet. I'm not French, but uh, they kicked the bucket essentially, and that's where it came from. Um, knowing the ropes, or showing the ropes. I'll show you the ropes. This is now essentially when you start a new job. Uh, someone takes you around they show you the ropes and you get to learn them and you know the ropes you know your new job again this is another old naval one for those of you who haven't already guessed it this is from a sailing ship uh, where you would have to know your ropes and if you didn't know them you would be shown them you once you know your ropes you could probably do your job a little bit better but uh, yeah you had to know your ropes if you were on a sailing ship what list is not complete without a little Bible quote as well? So this saying, a leopard cannot change its spots, which we've, we have all know, uh, we've all heard, but it actually comes from the Bible quote, Jeremiah 13.23, and it says, can an Ethiopian change his skin or a leopard change his spots? And that's uh, something that's been, you know, changed over the years to uh, can a leopard change its spots? Uh, I'll get you another little uh, little Bible one as well, When it's a little bird told me. Uh, the old saying comes from... course, oh, someone's going to do me for this one. Ecclesiastes... I'm not sure if I pronounced that right. Ecclesiastes 1020. Uh, the writer warns us not to curse the king or the river, even in private, or a bird of the air may report what you may say. So, basically... That uh, that covers that one. A little bird told me comes from the Bible. Never knew that. Lock, stock, and barrel. Very pretty, pretty self-explanatory. There's three parts to a gun: the lock, the firing mechanism, the stock, which is the wooden butt, and the barrel. Uh, lock, stock, and barrel. Give them everything. It means everything. The whole lot. Long in the tooth. So this again this is a saying that uh, we use for some of our drivers I'm sure some of you guys use it for people in uh, that you know in your own lives they say they're a bit long in the tooth they're a little bit old and again this is another horse one it goes back to knowing how old a horse is the only way to tell how old a horse is is by looking at their mouth looking at their gums see how long their teeth are if they're long in the tooth then they are old so pretty sensible pretty sensible one there a moot point now this is something that was done by uh, friends so for those of you who have seen the the uh the TV show friends you'll have seen uh, one of the best quotes from it is uh, joey and he says oh, it's a moot point and he goes, "What do you mean a moot point?" And he says, "It's a cow's opinion; it doesn't matter." Well, it actually, the saying is a moot point. The original saying comes from the, accent, the Anglo-Saxon word "moot," uh, which means a meeting to or to discuss something. And a moot point was one that needed to be discussed or debated. Nowadays, it means pointless you know it's it's pointless a moot point is it's just pointless don't talk about it it it's moot um but it comes from the old saying of uh, needing to discuss something nail your colours to the mast this is a a pride almost it's uh, if you were in battle and in the navy if you were on a ship If you lowered your flag, if you lowered your colors during battle, it would signify to the other ships that you were surrendering, that you had given up on the fight and you were ready for whatever punishment was available. Whether that meant giving over your cargo, just completely giving yourselves to prison or whatever the enemy had in store. To nail your colours to the mast meant that there was no way of you lowering your flag. In other words, you were not going to surrender. You showed 100% that you nailing your colours to the mask meant you were not ready to give up. You were never going to give up. Peeping Tom. We all... Have heard the saying Peeping Tom. We may even know a Peeping Tom. But according to legend, a man named Leofrich taxed the people of Coventry very heavily. His wife, Lady Godiva, begged him not to do so, and Leofrich said he would end the tax if she rode through the streets of Coventry naked. So she did. Peeping Tom is a much later addition to the story, and everybody in Coventry was supposed to stay indoors with his or her shutters closed. However, Peeping Tom had a sneaky look at Godiva and was struck blind. That's the story. So, whether that's true or not, I can't imagine that uh, Leofritz made his wife walk through the streets of Coventry naked, but, uh, well, we never know what happened in... uh, in old England, we—I'm <laughs> sure there were many things that happened a long, long time ago that uh, we don't. Well, we'd probably find a bit strange now. Reading the Riot Act. Some of us may have been read the Riot Act before. Essentially, it was—it's uh, a—it uh, just means that you've been—you've been told off basically you've been read your riot act now there was a law passed in 1715 which meant a rowdy group of 12 or more people gathered a magistrate would read an official statement ordering them to disperse anyone who did not after one hour would be arrested and punished kind of makes sense very similar connotations but that's where the history of that comes from a red herring I think uh, we know a few red herrings, I'm sure most people know a few red herrings or some stories about red herrings. Um, but poachers and other unsavoury characters would drag a herring across the ground where they had just walked to throw the dogs off their scent. Herrings used to be cured um, and this changed the colour of the herring to red. It also made them a lot more smelly, a lot more potent and you would drag your red herring across the floor so essentially a red herring would throw somebody off the the, the scent throw them off the scent, change their opinion or uh, something like that red letter days, there was actually a company in, uh, in Great Britain called red letter days and they do excursions and things like that but that's not what this actually means In the Middle Ages, red-letter days were saints' days, and these were marked in the calendar with red dates. They were red-letter dates. And people did not work on some of these saints' days or holy days, which uh, is where the word holiday comes from. So for those of you who use the word holiday, I know in America I think it's not used in the same way. Um, so you actually use the word holiday very similar to how we used to use the word holiday. So you have certain days that you would class as holidays like Christmas is a holiday um, whereas which is is probably right you know it's a holy day Easter is another holiday um, in Britain, although we do still have these and we do class them as holidays, we also class our vacations as holidays so we call our vacations holidays um, in fact the word vacation is not used very much in in england in fact it's very very rarely used at all so your story of of vacation is uh it's more of an americanized word rubbing salt in the wound so when your man is is down you uh You insult him while he's down or you kick him while he's down. You're rubbing salt in the wound. You're carrying on once the fight is won. Um, And this is derived from the days when salt, believe it or not, was actually rubbed into the wounds of people as an antiseptic. Now, if any of you have just done what I've done, and that is wince a little bit because I cannot imagine on any way somebody thought that rubbing salt into a wound was a good idea because it bloody hurts. I mean, it hurts enough when you cut your foot and go in the sea. Um, so yeah, rubbing salt into the wound. Uh, definitely. Uh, doesn't sound like a, a nice one for me. Rule of thumb, a common saying even today, it actually comes from the days when craftsmen use their thumbs to basically to measure things. So general rule of thumb, it's about three thumb inches or three thumb lengths long. It's a, uh, bit of a bit of a strange one but yeah that, it comes from an old unit of measurement which was the thumb scot-free now i always thought this was something to do with scotland um, scot-free um, i believe that scotland has a independence vote that they uh, they had a few years ago um, i said that they should have called it the scot-free vote because um, Scotland would be free, but the, the, apparently it comes from an old word for payment. So if you went scot free, you went without paying. Seeing a man about a dog, gone to see a man about a dog. Now this is used uh, in Britain today as just a general saying. You know, w- what were you in uh, in that shop for? Oh, I went to see a man about a dog. Doesn't actually mean I went to see a man about a dog. But the first appearance of this was in 1866 in a play by Dion Boucicault called The Flying Scud, in which the character makes an excuse that he is going to see a man about a dog just to get away from a situation. And this is something that has stuck. It's uh, It doesn't necessarily mean anything now. It's just a way of getting out of conversation. I've got to go see a man about a dog or a way of lying to somebody because you don't actually want to tell them the truth a very british saying we're going for now which is sent to coventry it's uh it's a very weird saying and it's very rarely used it just it doesn't really have a meaning now it's just oh we, oh, we sent him to coventry he was sent to coventry it just meant he was sent away you know where did he go yeah, he was sent to coventry doesn't mean he was actually sent to Coventry. It's just he was sent away. The origins of this differ, but the most likely explanation is that during the English Civil War, royalists were captured in the Midlands. were actually sent to Coventry, where they were held a prisoner in Saint John's Church. The local people shunned them and refused to talk to them, so they were sent to Coventry. It is another. It is also used. When you're not talking to somebody, so if you are ignoring someone at the moment, well, why why aren't you talking to them? Well, they were sent to Coventry. They've been sent to Coventry. That's why I'm not talking to them. So, a bit of a bit of a weird one. That I, like I said it's it's a very strange one. And again, there's no real evidence to suggest that that's where it came from. But we we do think that's where it came from. Spick and span. This is something you will have seen in Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins says, oh, it's all spick and span. It's all nice and clean, neat and tidy. Um, The original saying was a spick and span new. So it was not spick and span. It was spick and span new. A span was a wood shaving. And if someone was newly built, it would have to tell a tale of wood chips. So it was span new. Spick is an old word for a nail new spicks or nails would be shiny however words and phrases have often changed their meanings over the centuries and spick and span came to mean neat and tidy not just a wood shaving with a clean nail the saying start from scratch when you're starting a new project when you're uh doing homework or or for for my doing a new podcast i start the podcast from scratch i'm starting a brand new one and the phrase actually comes from the days when a line was scratched on the ground for a race and racers would start from the scratch it's a pretty simple one i think uh i think it kind of makes sense but that's where it comes from throwing down the gauntlet so this is a middle age one It's got very similar meanings today. If you're throwing down the gauntlet, you're throwing out a challenge to somebody. And in the Middle Ages, a gauntlet was a glove. And it was actually the glove inside the suit of armor. And throwing down your gauntlet was a way of challenging someone to a duel. Kind of similar to how it is today. Um, It's very, very simple comment, but it's uh, definitely something we have used, I think most people have probably used that comment Um, some people may even still use it today It's not so much a challenge to a duel but uh, thrown down the gauntlet this is uh, one I'm assuming many of you know and I'm going to finish with this one Um, there are many of these that are religious Um, so I'm not going to to bore you with some of those but um, I'm going to finish with probably my favourite one and that is the whole nine yards and I find this one fascinating because in England we don't use yards anymore but yet we still say this now the whole nine yards means give them everything give them everything you've got give them the whole nine yards this actually comes from pilots in the second world war now a pilot uh, was given especially on sort of things like Lancaster bombers um, they were given a rifle with a belt of ammunition attached to it and this belt of ammunition was exactly nine yards long and when you gave someone the whole nine yards you gave them every single bullet you had in your chamber and that's what it meant it meant give them the whole nine yards give them everything that you have now some of these you may have known some of these you may not have known I find these things very very fascinating and I have been requested to do these by a few people and um, my mum actually believe it or not was one of them um, some of these things that we still say today some of them we might not say but we've definitely heard but we now know the stories behind a lot of these we now know what they mean where they come from and the historical contents context behind a lot of these and how they've changed throughout time you know things like the whole nine yards now means give them everything you've got you know it did mean give them everything you've got before but it was meant in a much more sinister tone it was meant by giving them every single bullet you have Um, showing your true colors nowadays could mean uh, can mean a good thing you know if you're a quite a grumpy person, but inside you're actually really nice and happy. You're showing your true colours when you're nice and happy. So, but before, you know, in history, that, that could mean... You were a pirate, and you didn't show your true colours until you were attacking the ship that you meant. Um, nailing your colours to the mast means I'm I'm putting my foot down. I'm making this point. This is where I stand today. Um, and before you know, in history, it, it meant no quarters or never surrender, and you're loyal to your own country and your cause. So there's been a massive shift in history for certain things, and. That's why I like doing these these little episodes. These are, are quite fun, quite easy to do, um, and quite enjoyable. And hopefully you guys have learned some of these words. So some of these phrases you may never have heard before. And some of these phrases, I would love to, to hear you use them in your own context. So if you've never used one of these phrases before, I challenge everybody now, right here, right now, everybody listening to this podcast, I challenge every single one of you, who doesn't use these or has never heard of some of these? To use one in a context and to message me on Facebook or put it on the Facebook group, um, and tell you, tell me where you used it, what you used it for, and whether it was uh, well received or whether someone actually said, "Well, what does that mean?" You know, when if you're saying, you know, you, oh, why? Someone says, "Oh, why aren't you talking to him?" Oh, he was sent to Coventry, and. The question that you get after that, you know, wh- what are you on about? What does that mean? And then you can explain to people, actually, it comes from the English Civil War when people, when the Royalists were sent to Coventry, they, uh, you know, they, they were shunned because they were prisoners and no one in Coventry would talk to them. So it just just means I'm not talking to him, uh, You know, something like that. Go, you know. I challenge everybody, (laughs) everybody listening, go out there, use one of these phrases that you've never used before, um, and let me know how it goes, and if you had to explain it to people, or if they understood, you know, you might find that you use it, and someone goes, yeah, I know what that means, but yeah, by all means, let me know, Uh, for those of you who are on Facebook, you are on our Facebook group, go on that, it's This Week in History podcast, you'll find us nice and easy and if you're not on there get yourselves on there drop me a message uh drop me a a comment in the group and let me know what uh, phrase you used and how it was received because i really want to know i really want to find out how uh the especially the quintessentially british phrases are used around the world um i can't imagine someone in uh you know like Australia saying oh golly gosh you know it just to me it's such a british way of saying things i just can't can't picture an, an australian saying it so yeah by all means get out there and uh, let me know how it goes and maybe if you have some of your own you know some of your own sayings from your countries um that we haven't covered let me know put them on the group you know get yourselves on there it is good fun we do try and make a bit of light out of it